Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. It is April 15. I hope you filed your taxes. I finally did this weekend. And we also got a lot of really good college baseball uh, while everyone was uh, scrambling to, uh, to finish up those taxes. We had... Uh, an exciting weekend uh, across the country, really spanning the country. Uh, you know, the the SEC provided a pretty big upset with Tennessee knocking off Georgia, which came into the weekend at number three. We had Louisville uh, going into North Carolina State and sweeping the Wolfpack. And uh, out west, um, Oregon State went down and, and beat Arizona State. UCLA beat, uh, swept East Carolina in uh, that exciting cross-country uh, non-conference series in the middle of April. And then Santa Barbara took care of UC Irvine uh, with a sweep to kind of take control in the Big West. We will get into all of that here in a second. But first, I want to welcome in our other Baseball America college writers, Dave Serrano and Joe Healy. How's it going, guys? Glad to be back, Teddy. What a week it was. Uh, a lot of things to talk about this week. Yeah, Teddy, ready to get into it. Happy to be here. Yeah, so... There's a new Baseball America Top 25 over on the website today, and I would encourage you to check that out. It, again, starts with UCLA and Stanford. The Bruins and Cardinal continue to, to keep rolling on there uh, in those top two spots. Then we had Mississippi State moving up to number three. The Bulldogs are leading the SEC West after a sweep of Alabama. We have Georgia at number four. Those Bulldogs still leading the SEC East. And at number five now, Oregon State, followed by Vanderbilt. Louisville comes in at seven. That's a big jump. The Cardinals are now winning the ACC. The Gauchos move up to number eight after that big sweep for UCSB. And uh, from there, I would encourage you to check out uh, the the new top 25 over at BaseballAmerica.com. It looks a little bit different. Uh, it, It largely looks a little bit different up at the top. But there were there were several upsets around the country this week, and that led to to some changes throughout the poll. We have one new team, that is West Virginia. The Mountaineers come in at number 25 after winning a series against Texas Tech. The Mountaineers have now won three straight Big 12 series, all against top 25 opponents, and they're up to six and six in the conference and looking rather good uh, when it comes to regionals. So we will get into all of that. As we, as we continue here on the podcast. But again, you can check out the, the, the top 25 in depth over at baseballamerica.com. And as always, Joe did a good job of rounding up all the top 25 teams' weeks. So if you want to know what, what exactly it was that led LSU to fall to number 15, you can, you can check that out or, or what, uh, you know, what, what Arkansas did or what Arizona State did, what, what any of these teams did. Joe does a good job of, of rounding that up every week. I wanted to start maybe a little selfishly where I was this weekend where with Louisville sweeping North Carolina State, but I do think it was potentially the most impactful result of the weekend uh, in that the ACC kind of went a little haywire this weekend. Um, what we had thought 
in, was that coming into the weekend was that North Carolina State was the team to beat. They had played like it all year. They were in first place. They are no longer in first place as Louisville went into Doak Park there in Raleigh and swept the series kind of emphatically, really. Uh, when you look at it, the Cardinals offense really got going uh, in a doubleheader on Saturday, put up 14 runs in both games, and then finished it off with a 6-3 to win on Sunday. And they swept past... North Carolina State and Clemson into first place. Clemson, meanwhile, went down to Tallahassee and got swept by the Knowles in a series that Florida State absolutely needed and very much delivered on. And it's still very early, and, and the Seminoles still have work to do, but Florida State now looking much, much better than they were a week ago uh, with regards to the NCAA tournament. But back to Raleigh. Um, you know, it took these Cardinals a little while to round into form, they have lost three series already this year. That includes losing last weekend at Clemson. Uh, the Tigers kind of became the first team to really get to Louisville's top arms a week ago. And uh, they held Louisville in check, and they won that series. And But Louisville, to its credit, with the really tough back-to-back weekends, going to Clemson and then going to NC State, really bounced back well. And the offense which kind of frankly we'd been waiting on to, to come around, finally did come around, and it came around in a, a big, big way this weekend. Uh, they, they pounded out, I believe it's 54 hits on the weekend, and uh, they, uh, they knocked some home runs. They, they, the offense that we had kind of expected from this team really showed up, and then when you combine that with a premium pitching staff, it makes for a very good combination for Louisville. So... I guess uh, coming out of this weekend, what, uh, what, what are your guys' thoughts on Louisville and, and kind of what, what do you think the, the ceiling for the Cardinals can be right now when, when you look at them and, and we look at them in terms of uh, you know, not only winning the ACC, but they're into the top five in the RPI. And I mean, they look every bit like a top eight national seed if they just hold this form over the last six weeks. Well, I'll start out, Teddy. And, you know, I, I had. I was fortunate enough to, to do a little preview on, on Louisville uh, before the season started. And I know Dan McDonald really, really liked this team a lot. And, you know, a lot of coaches like their teams early on in the year, but he was pretty confident in what they had. And, you know, it, I have an old saying that I used to use with my boys growing up through school. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I think they're starting to show the ceiling that, 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 that Louisville baseball has for this season. I think they're putting it all together at the right time. And, uh, you know, obviously Dan's a great coach. It's a program that knows how to win, that has had success in the ACC. And I I think they're the team to beat now as they go forward. I think as long as they stay injury-free, and I talk about that a lot because that's reality in college baseball and all sports, it's staying injury-free. But they're starting to show their their depth as a team, their quality as a team. And, you know, uh, being in the top right now at once, trying to chase them down as long as they keep taking care of business. And they have a couple more series still left, even though it's still early on. But uh, I like what they're doing. And, and, and again, another year of consistency for, for Louisville. And, and it's not going to be a surprise to see them probably host a regional, probably be a national feed, and have a chance knocking on the door in Omaha at the end of the year. 
Yeah, I think it's certainly a team that uh, has national title potential. Um, you know, I think it's the, the team that you have to put at this point as uh, the favorites in the ACC because their ceiling is so high. I mean, the on-the-field ceiling. When when the offense is, is doing what they did last weekend and, and we know what the pitching is capable of, and that was kind of part of what was impressive. Like, Reed Detmers wasn't classic Reed Detmers in his start last weekend, and it just didn't matter because the offense was so good. So they're able to kind of survive some of that. But I think it's a national title contender just because, you know, the, the way you win – games in the postseason, the way you, you have success weekend after weekend in the postseason is a little bit different from what you do in the regular season. And, and we spend a lot of time, that's the, the royal we, and, and we as the college baseball media spend a lot of time focusing, understandably so, in the regular season on depth. Like, who is your Sunday starter? We talk a lot about like, oh, they've got some questions on Sunday, so closing out series could be an issue, or getting those important sweeps could be an issue. Um, but when you get in the postseason, it's it's less about depth. Unless you get stuck in the loser's bracket in a regional, at which point depth is, is all you really have to go on. Um, you know, if, if you're staying in the winner's bracket in regionals, then you get into a super regional and you get to Omaha. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's less about depth and it's who are your top-end guys, particularly on the mound. And when you look at what Reed Detmers and Nick Bennett are capable of uh, for Louisville and their top bullpen arms, you know, Kyrian and McAveen, um, you know, they really do have those high-end arms uh, that put them in good position to have success with the postseason constructed the way it is. And, you know, on top of that, it's just a veteran group. I mean, offensively, they, they've been a little bit up and down. They've had their struggles, but uh, it's an offensive group that's been around the block. And if you're telling me that, that that's kind of what they're what their bread and butter is, is, hey, we've got high-end pitching and we've got a veteran offense with a bunch of guys who have played in a lot of games for this program. Um, that seems like an easy bet for me as a team to bet on. So um, a lot of baseball to be played, and the postseason is a wonky thing. I mean, they know as well as anyone, given, you know, with UC Santa Barbara a couple of years ago got to Omaha against them in a Super Regional. So, you know, they know as well as anybody that anything can happen. But um, it certainly looks like a team well-built to have success for the long run. Yeah, I think uh, I was a little slow on this Louisville team. Uh, at the start of the year, I was not as bullish on them as some others were. Uh, and now I've kind of like completely changed that tune, and I think that we're going to see Louisville in Omaha. Uh, and I know that that's coming off seeing Louisville at its absolute best this weekend. That This was clearly the best weekend that Louisville has put together this season, and, and they need to do this more consistently going forward. But... They're healthier now, uh, you know. To Dave's point about injuries it being a being a, a big part of all of this, uh, you know, Louisville was banged up kind of for the a few weeks there, and and they they're back. Everyone's back in the lineup now, and I think that is a part of why they have been able to break out offensively. But also, while they had those injuries, they kind of had to discover some new pieces, and one of those pieces is, is freshman infielder Alec Benellis, who. Um, he he came into Louisville with uh, you know they, they felt pretty good about his his hitting ability, but he's become you know just a crucial part of the lineup, and he's leading the team with five home runs and just seventy five at bats. Uh, this weekend he went seven for twelve, and every t- any time you looked up, uh, you know it's, it felt like Alec Benel- Alex Pinellas was, was was hitting a double. That's a significant development for them. You know they have Tyler Fitzgerald, they have Logan White, a couple of juniors they have jake snyder they, they have these this core of juniors that can carry that offense that that provides solid defense and then you add in some of these other exciting freshmen like Benellis and, and catcher henry davis and and it starts looking like a, a a much deeper more dangerous offense and i i think that that's significant and it's also significant because detmers reed detmers now for the last two weeks and has given up five runs uh, a piece he did it on the road against the two best offenses he's faced all year in Clemson and NC State. But 
I don't like, I don't, I'm not pushing any sort of panic button, but it's probably more of just a hiccup. But he's given up 10 runs in his last 11.2 innings after pitching like a no doubt first team All American through the first six weeks of the season. So, I, is this just a case where he faced two really good offenses and they kind of got to him a little bit, uh, especially, you know, doing that on the road? Or is, you know, this more of a thing going forward that Reed Detmers might not be the absolute shutdown guy that he was, what, com- completely impossible to score on, basically? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I think it, the, he's going to bounce back in the in the second half here. But that that is a hiccup. But... If you have the offense to to back him, he doesn't have to be perfect, and, and, and that's important for for him and for Nick Bennett and for Bobby Miller, who, I mean, the three of them are, are the best rotation in the ACC right now, and I, I think that's a huge part of why I feel good about Louisville going forward is they have the offense going and they have this premium pitching staff like like we've mentioned. So I'm pretty high on Louisville right now. The ACC as a whole is a little strange. You know, I mentioned this. This weekend, we, we had Clemson going and getting swept in Tallahassee. On the other side of the, in the other division, we had Georgia Tech and UNC, the two leaders, uh, going out and, and winning road series. And we also had Miami sweeping Virginia, uh, and, and the Hurricanes are now looking pretty dangerous. But Dave, when you look at this conference overall, I mean, we, we know that Louisville now, we, we've kind of said here, is, is the class of the conference. Who else? Do you feel like it could make a, a, a second half surge here, or, or maybe a postseason run? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to what you just said, Teddy, and and I, I really truly believe over the years of experience of going through series is to be able to be a champion, you can't get swept, and to be able to be a champion, you have to sweep people. And I think what Louisville did this weekend, and what Florida State did this weekend, and Miami that definitely changed the whole standings completely. I mean, completely on what, what's going on. I mean, Clemson's kicking themselves today. Florida State's obviously celebrating because now they're back in not only the race of the ACC, but now they're back in the pictures of the regionals. So I think it's, it's still really up in the air with the way the standings are, and uh, it's going to be on who plays the best down the, down the stretch. And like I said to you last week, it's going to be how the pairings are of who's playing who, where they're playing them at, um, throughout, throughout the rest of the year. And teams that want to stay in this race have to at least win a game through a series when they're matched up against one of the top opponents. And right now I see it as a, a seven-team race. Uh, uh, four teams on the Louisville, NC State, Clemson, and Florida State, and probably three on the other side with Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and Miami. And it's going to be who's hot towards the end. And, and I'm going to go back to that, that same old ad, uh, saying that I said, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And and we kind of forget about how NC State started this season. I'll compare that to Arizona State across on the other side of the coast. Is we're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about the here and now and what they're doing right now. And and you know I I've said I said it a couple weeks ago. It's or maybe last week that the team that's going to win the national championship is that team that gets hot in late April and early May. That's going to take that run into Omaha, the regional, super regionals, and in Omaha. And I. I think it's wide open, but I think Louisville right now is the team. I, I, I just believe it. They, I, I'm sure they have the belief. They, they, like I said, it's a program that knows how to win, a program that's won the ACC and is on their run right now to, you know, and going back to what you said about, you know, wins and, you know, giving up runs and teams still winning games, 
I think when it gets to this time of the year, it, they don't paint pictures on victories. I mean, they don't go back and there isn't pictures on how you win. It's, it's getting in the win column and it's just notching another win. And, 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 um, and I think that's what it's about the rest of the year. It's not about the numbers, individual numbers. It's about the team wins as we go forward and getting, getting the highest ranking you can get, the highest seed you can get, getting the RPI high and being able to host, which is, as we know, is a huge deal, not only in the regionals, but even more so in the super regionals. As we move on, yeah, we're we're definitely getting down to that time of year where it's uh, it, there there are no there are no style points in this game as we know, I, yeah. and I, I do think it's interesting that you know we had NC State and Arizona State they were the last two undefeated teams in the country, and over the last two weeks really they've both hit skids, and I mean they, it's just going to be interesting to see how both of those teams look to pull themselves out of it. Um, and you know they're they're both in fine shape to do a whole lot of, of good things still um, in terms of you know conference play and, and the postseason and everything. But um, you know every team's going to hit some skids. They just they're hitting theirs. Uh, they they both were so good at the start of the season and now they're hitting theirs together. So on different uh, sides of the country, it's kind of uh, interesting to watch those two things play out. And it will be uh, as they as they both look to to rebound here. Now, Joe, Dave said it's, he sees this as a seven-team race in the ACC, and I think that's totally fair. Uh, but I think when we look at hosting, uh, you have to throw Florida State out of this, uh, for now at least. And that leaves six teams, Louisville, NC State, Clemson, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Miami. They all rank well, NC State's number 26 in the RPI. That's the lowest of those six teams. How many of these teams, realistically, do you think uh, have, have hosting chances? Well, you know, it's kind of complicated, because this, and this is going to sound like a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I think that really is kind of to be determined, because once you get past Louisville, so Louisville has the strongest case at this point in time. I mean, the RPI is in the top five. Um, you know, they, they, they you know, have the, the high-end potential. The talent is there. They're, you know, at this point, I, you know, we've been talking all about them and, and like them as the ACC champion, that obviously carries a lot of weight. Um, but they're probably the only team at this point, barring, you know, uh, obviously if, if an NC State or a Clemson, Georgia Tech, whoever just rips off, you know, this huge long winning streak throughout the rest of the season, obviously that changes the math here. But for the most part, with most realistic scenarios, I think Louisville is sitting in a spot where they're uh, potentially the only ACC team that has a real realistic shot at being a top eight. I think everyone else is kind of fighting for those 8-16s. to 16s. Um, When you look at the combination of the bottom of the, the ACC not being very good this year, uh, so there are some RPI landmines and some uh, series where you're not going to get a lot of help, more so than in, in many years in the ACC. And then the fact that you've got a lot of teams that kind of have RPI problems, and in the ACC you're not going to get a lot of empathy uh, in the RPI. On the West Coast, you get a little bit of a, a cushion. You know, if you're a team in the Big West or sometimes even the Pac-12, you can get a little bit of a, com- a cushion from the committee uh, to host with an RPI that's outside of, uh, you know, the top 20, for example. Um, it happens on occasion in other other parts of the country, but, uh, you know, in the ACC, you're not going to get as much of that. So then you look at what you're left with there, and that's, you know, uh, Clemson with an RPI of 24, NC State at 26, North Carolina at 19, Georgia Tech at 14. And looking at the needs report uh, on Boyd's World, you know, it, it's painting a picture that, that these teams are all going to have to be pretty close to perfect down the stretch to finish in the top in the top 16 in the RPI. And if we work under the assumption that you're going to have to be somewhat close to that top 16 in order to host, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. 
for those teams. I, you know, I, obviously, I, I have the most confidence in Louisville. Second, I would put Georgia Tech for the reasons that we talked about last week. Uh, their remaining schedule is very, very favorable. Plus, they already have a little bit of RPI insulation. They're in four, at 14, so they're going to have to work back from that to really feel a little less comfortable about it. Then I would put Clemson in a third spot. Um, you know, uh, just in large part because they do have a really good nine and two record against the RPI top 50. And that's something that, uh, matters obviously. And, and they've shown the ability to, um, to win those big games, right? I think they seem like a team more likely than some of the others to be able to go on one of those runs to the end of the season. Like I mentioned after that, I'd put NC state in the North Carolina four and five in terms of my level of confidence there NC state ahead of North Carolina, just because. We have seen what they did in the first half of the season, so it's not inconceivable that they finish this season really, really strong. Um, North Carolina have a lot of help in front of them on their schedule, and they've just been so inconsistent this year um, that it's a little hard to feel altogether confident that uh, you know they're going to be able to uh, to do what's to be done, including a series against NC State in the season uh, to put themselves in good position. And then Miami kind of feels like the new kid on the block here. Um, you know, because they've kind of worked their way back up in this conversation when it looked, you know, three or four weeks ago, like maybe they weren't even going to be a regional team. So, um, but they still got some work to do. They've got a, a sub 500 record against the RPI top 50. I think it's four and eight. Um, so, but the, the thing about Miami is they've got some opportunity. Obviously, Louisville is still ahead of them, um, you know, still ahead of them coming this weekend. And if they win that series, all of a sudden we're having a, a very different conversation about the Hurricanes. So, uh, six teams possible. Um, you know, they're probably going to get more than one. The ACC will, will probably get more than one host team. It'd be hard to imagine them getting that few, but I think it's going to be a situation where you have a team like Louisville that gets in pretty comfortably as a host. And then there are two or three others that might be fighting for it come the ACC tournament, um, which of course will make the ACC tournament a, a lot of fun. It'll give some of these teams something to play for. And, you know, there's always a surprise entrant here. Let's not forget that Florida State uh, last year went from kind of being on the bubble uh, to hosting a regional within the matter of like three weeks. So these things can really change on a dime. That's one of the things about the benefits of playing in a power conference is that, you know, there are going to be opportunities to change your fortunes very quickly if you get hot at the right time. And so, you know, a team like Florida State will be hoping for something like that. But um Interesting hosting race down the stretch for, for the ACC, and I, I have to admit I was kind of surprised when I looked at it and saw that uh, there are just not very many locks at this point in terms of hosting there, even among some teams like an NC State that you might have gone into it expecting to be a lock. Yeah, NC State really took a beating this weekend. They've had RPI issues the whole season long. I thought they were going to just kind of get corrected because they get into ACC play and that's what happens, but... You have to win those games, and uh, this weekend was a big missed opportunity for them. I do think that ultimately there will be at least three ACC hosts, and I would not be surprised if Clemson, say, or NC State maybe, got hot, won the ACC tournament, and did what Joe's talking about, 2017 Florida State doing, really shooting up. You know, the, those, uh, or maybe those last year Florida State did that. And 2017 Florida State, I know, went from the bubble to host in, in a matter of two weeks. But whoever wins the ACC tournament is going to, that, that is one thing. When we look at the stuff right now, it, it's easy to forget that there is a, a conference tournament to be played because the metrics can't predict that stuff because they don't know what the matchups will be. But someone has to win the ACC tournament, and it probably won't be Louisville because. Dan McDonald, for all of his amazingness as a coach, you, you can look at all of all sorts of records. His records in conference tournaments are terrible. Uh, so someone probably other than Louisville wins that tournament, and then um, you know we'll we'll see that 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 team will get a huge boost that final weekend that 
will either solidify a hosted spot or, or push them into the top eight. So that remains to be seen. Uh, but the ACC is definitely open right now behind Louisville. Um, I mean, Louisville barely has any lead themselves, but behind Louisville, it, it's, uh, it's pretty wide open. And, and that hosting race, if you're into that, is one to watch here over the next several weeks. Now, on the other side of the country, mentioned UCSB swept UCI, and the Gauchos now have kind of taken control in the Big West. Uh, Cal Poly still out there uh, with a, a, a nice, uh, they're, they're right there with UCSB in terms of record uh, in the conference. Uh, but the Gauchos now have series wins at Fullerton and against Irvine and are, have by far the best record in the conference overall. Uh, they're... Uh, overall record is they're they're actually lead the country in winning percentage now. Um, only one oh, they uh, they're tied for the fewest losses in the country with Stanford. Uh, so UC, UCSB just continuing its, its impressive season this weekend with a, a loud sweep of Irvine. The Gauchos really pitched it really well. Ben Breck, Jack Dashwood, the first two days, you know, matched up with, with some really really good. Uh, pitching from Andre Palente and, and Tanner Brubaker, and, and the Gauchos' offense really went to work as well. And uh, they come out with a series win, uh, and the sweep on Sunday, it got a little hairy um, in the ninth inning. The, uh, the Anteaters got the, the tying run to third base and the, the go-ahead run to second base, um, but the Chris Lincoln, the Gauchos' closer, was able to wiggle out of it and uh, finish off a 3-2 win to, to complete the sweep. So right now, the Gauchos up to number eight in the top 25, as I mentioned. I mean, just what, what are your thoughts on uh, what happened this weekend and, and kind of the Gauchos overall? I'm not surprised, but I'm surprised that, that they swept. Uh, I think uh, Benny Orloff has a very good team at UCI. It starts with their pitching staff. It looks like, you know, UCI. Santa Barbara had their way to some extent with them. The Sunday game was a really close, uh, well-pitched game. Um, but I, I go back to what I keep reiterating, that home field advantage. I said last week, UC Santa Barbara is a tough place to play. It's a tough place to go in and play. It's a tough place to win. Uh, even when they weren't a great program, it was still a tough place to win. Um, most of the time they get a lot of the the students out there, and they get pretty rambunctious. It's not a huge stadium, but and it, but it's very loud when the when they're hanging right over you, yelling at your players. And I, I obviously Santa Barbara has a good team. I've talked to many many coaches that I have relationships with on, on the West Coast, and they rave about UCLA. But the next team they talk about is UC Santa Barbara and how talented they are. So uh, surprised they swept them. I, I thought I kind of gave them the edge going in because of the home field advantage. But what a huge sweep for them that, you know, as you said, Teddy, with already playing Cal State Fullerton, even though they're not truly having the great Cal State Fullerton year to this point, and now playing UC Irvine and having those two teams in the rear view window, it, as long as they don't have a slip up, they're going to be hard to catch. And, and they've got a good team and, and uh, kudos to, to the Gauchos and Andrew Jeffett. I came away pretty impressed that they were just uh, able to basically beat UC Irvine at the their own game. I mean, that's been, it seems like every week in the top 25 wrap-ups I've written about how, you know, UC Irvine got three outstanding pitching performances from, you know, Palante and, and Brubaker and Denholm and um, that that's kind of all they needed. Um, and, and UC Santa Barbara just went out and, and basically did that to the Anteaters. So that was, that was really impressive for me. Um, and, you know, it was a series that, frankly, both teams kind of needed. 
um, because the resume wise, there's just not a lot there. The rest of the Big West is is not really doing its part, and so this was a series that both teams kind of kind of needed. And specifically, I mean, UC Santa Barbara, and you wrote this in Off the Bat, Teddy. Um, that's what they call synergy. Me referencing Off the Bat <laughs> in this podcast. Um, you wrote this in Off the Bat. I mean, they they really needed this for hosting, and it felt like they almost needed to sweep. Uh, for the sake of hosting, because, you know, you look at what UC Santa Barbara has left, and they don't have any top 50 games left on their schedule. Now, Pepperdine is just outside the top 50, so conceivably they could slide in, and St. Mary's is in shouting distance of the top 50, they could slide in. So there are opportunities, but they have far more opportunities, I shouldn't call them opportunities, potential landmines against teams in the RPI top 200 plus. So this is uh, one of those situations where, you know, UC Santa Barbara has to do a lot of sweeping in the Big West and really run up the score in the Big West standings um, to feel comfortable at hosting. Now, you know, we talked about the, 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 the benefit of the doubt that West Coast teams get when it comes to at-large bids. Same is also true of, uh, of hosting. Um, or I guess we were talking about hosting on the West Coast. And so UC Santa Barbara is going to get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. So they don't have to finish in the top 16 or even the top 20 in RPI. But uh, things could get sideways on them. And just a couple losses here or there to those teams in the RPI top 200 plus or 200 plus really could kind of, um, you know, careen them off course a little bit and make it to where, you know, they're going to have an RPI that just won't be palatable from a, from a hosting standpoint. So that was huge in terms of setting them up there. And it kind of make it, could make UC Irvine a little bit nervous because they have many of the same issues, only they're going to be fighting for their lives from an at-large standpoint. So it was a big series for both. Yeah, I think that UCSB has minimal margin for error, which is ridiculous to be talking about. They're number four in the RPI right now, but it's only going to backslide as they play these games. And I think that as long as they finish the top 25, they can feel uh, good about it. Uh, but that even that, there's there's not a ton of margin for error just to, to do that kind of thing. But if they dominate the Big West, I think they're going to be rewarded for it, and I think they should be. And I, I think that you know this is a team that can play with anyone. They have high-end pitching. They have uh, an offense that has really come on this year. And I, what, what really stood out to me, and you can read more about this and off the bat, is just that this is the same offense that it was last year when they finished under 500 overall. You know, that it's not like they brought in a bunch of JC kids or that there's some freshmen tearing it up for, for the Gauchos. No, it's, it's basically the same guys. They've just gotten better. And, I, you know, that's, that's fun to see. And then they're fielding at a pretty high level. I think that Coach Andrew Checkets wants the Gauchos to reach another level with their fielding. They have a pretty complete team. Their, their top-end arms can match up with anyone's. And you know it's, they're going to be a tough out no matter how the postseason shakes out, whether they're at home or, or whether they have to go play somewhere. No one's going to be happy to see them you know, lined up against them. Dave, you were, you were pretty early on thinking UCSB was going to have a good year. Did you anticipate them sitting here at, at 26 and five or whatever and, and um, you know, being, having the kind of first half to the season that they've been able to put together? No, I'd be lying if I said I did. I, I think part of my evaluation of the Gauchos, Teddy, was based off of what, what I saw within the Big West Conference. Fullerton was a pretty new team, young on the mound. Long Beach was a new team. Those notoriously are the two teams that battle it out for the Big West Championship. So I knew that was going to be different in that. I knew UC Irvine, what they returned on the mound, and what kind of team they had. But with the Gauchos, let's start first and foremost. 
Um, Andrew Chuckis is a good coach. He knows what he's doing. He's a great recruiter. He does w- really well in teaching pitching. So I put a lot of kudos into that. Um, you know, you go back to the offense, and I, I'm not to throw anyone under the bus by any means, but Andrew Chuckis has made some changes on his coaching staff over the last few years. So obviously he's got some people around him now that, that he's trusting and, and believing in, and, and maybe that's been the impact in, in, in some of the changes to the offense. The players have been there. Like you said, the players have been there. But I'm going to go back to what I said because of my familiarity with Santa Barbara is when you bring in talented players there sometimes, it sometimes takes them a while to get adjusted. One, it's a very academic institution. Two, there's a lot of distractions in Santa Barbara. And for anyone that's never been there, the waves smash up against the outside of the, <laughs> of the, of the campus. So, And the, the downtown area is a fun place to hang out occasionally so it does take some time for kids to get adjusted to that kind of atmosphere and i think he's brought in since the year they went to the college world series they've had some good recruiting classes so the talent is there and like you said the arms are there now i didn't know when i when i was on the gauchos early that michael mcgreevy was going to have the kind of year he was but i knew that they had some arms returning and they had some balance in in the lineup you know tommy jew was the guy early on that that I thought early on I predicted is maybe the conference player of the year. He isn't maybe having the overall average offensive year that, that, that a lot of people expected. But if you look at his production numbers, they've been fabulous. Go back and look at a video of what of a catch he made over the fence that was a big play in the, in the game this weekend. So he's doing what he has to do. But there's a lot of good pieces around that program right now. They're playing with confidence. But early on, why I was so on them is because what I – saw what was going on with other parts of the conference. That was one of the reasons why they were one of my favorites going into the season. Yeah, I mean, it, that all makes a ton of sense. And, you know, when, when you look around the Big West this year, it doesn't look like a normal Big West year. You know, we Fullerton is sitting around 500 still, and Long Beach State just fired Troy Buckley uh, on Thursday. And they're, not ha- they're having a dismal year. There, there's no way around that. And, you know, Cal Poly is sitting around 500 overall, and I think they're going to... That's UCSB's last challenge, is, is Cal Poly. They're, the Mustangs are sitting there on the final weekend. Uh, we'll see if they're they're still within striking distance or if UCSB has wrapped up the title by then. I could see it playing out either way, I guess, because uh, Cal Poly, really, after a tough start to the season, seems like they found something as they got into Big West play. Uh, that is not an uncommon thing uh, for Cal Poly. It feels like that's kind of been the last few years for the Mustangs. So, you know, wh- while we're waxing poetic right now about UCSB, and I know that we've talked a lot about the Anteaters, the, the Mustangs are still hanging out there, and uh, UCSB's not past them yet. So, Check it told me last night. They're not high-stepping into the end zone. They know how tough it's going to be to finish this. Uh, but right now you have to like the way that the Gauchos are positioned uh, as, as we get into uh, mid-April here. Now, in the SEC this weekend, we had some big upsets. Uh, we had Tennessee beating Georgia. That was huge for the Vols. Uh, we had Kentucky going down and, and beating Ole Miss in, in a bit of a surprise. You had Missouri beating LSU, Joe, uh, from, from those or, or anything else in the SEC, just kind of what, what stood out to you uh, in, in a bit of a surprising weekend in the conference? 
Yeah, I guess, um, you know, I've written about Missouri, so it's kind of on my mind. And the math for them gets a lot less daunting. I mean, I wrote in that that piece about uh, last week about them being postseason eligible because they are. And for anybody who hasn't read it, I mean, you may have heard the news before the season that Missouri is not or was ineligible for the postseason, but they're appealing that decision. It is anticipated that um, a decision will not come down on that until after the postseason. So for now, Missouri is eligible, and they really helped themselves that series win over LSU because one of the things I wrote is that they're playing better, but you can be good in the SEC and not have it be good enough. And I was looking at series against LSU, against Georgia, on the road against Tennessee, against Vanderbilt, and then they end the season with a Florida team that by then – uh, could be playing a lot better than they have been playing of late. So it just looked really, really tough. Um, but that series win over LSU really kind of opens the door for them a little bit, I think. Um, and, and maybe it's a team that's going to compete better with those top-end teams than I've been giving them credit for because if you know if you can win a series against LSU, which is something they've not done uh, since they joined the SEC, their win against LSU on Saturday was the first time they'd beaten uh, the Tigers, I think at home, the first time they'd beaten the Tigers uh, since joining uh, the SEC. So um, something they've not done. So maybe this is a team that, that just has more high-end potential than, than I'd be giving them credit for. But even if that's not the case. Uh, certainly that path has just been made easier. If they can just kind of tread water the rest of the way, uh, they can certainly get into, um, you know, get into position to uh, be an at-large bid for the first time since joining the SEC. It would be the first time they've, they've been in the postseason as an SEC program. Um, I'm not too terribly worried about the, the Ole Miss and, and, and Kentucky result, just because, um, you know, obviously it's not, a, not, not something that Ole Miss wanted to have happen, but, you know, they ended up having to play two seven-inning games on Sunday to try to get the rest of that series in, and uh, you know, it, the the margins for error just get so thin when you're playing those seven inning games, um, and it, especially when you're playing against Kentucky for a couple reasons. One, Zach Thompson started one of those games, and so you just start off with the default assumption that he's going to throw a complete game in, in his start. He did not, but he was he was quite good. Um, and then beyond that, you know, the place where you can kind of get Kentucky, Kentucky swings the bat pretty well. They they hit a lot of home runs. They've got some physicality, and they have pretty solid starting pitching with with Thompson and. You know, uh, Mason Hazel would look pretty good this weekend as well. So they can they can put some good starts out there. It's where you can get them though a little bit is in the bullpen depth. But when you're seven inning games, you're not really going to be able to get into that bullpen very much unless you really run their starters out of there early. So it made it uh, it tilted the scales a little bit to where Kentucky was more likely to compete at a higher level against Ole Miss, and I think that's kind of what you saw. So I'm not overly worried about that result, um, even though it it, it necess- doesn't really look all that good uh, on its face there. I will say about Ole Miss, it now has serious losses at home against Kentucky and at Mizzou, and winning at Mizzou is looking better, or losing at Mizzou is is looking better now, but it still has at Auburn, at LSU, home against Mississippi State and A&M, and then at Tennessee, and I they're, they're fine for the tournament, but when we start talking about who's going to host out of the SEC West... Losing this weekend against Kentucky is a kind of significant problem for that, not in terms of RPI or anything. That that all can be made up, and, and Ole Miss could just go on a tear and, and make all of this irrelevant. But the standings in the SEC West are going to be significant when it comes time to, to sort those teams out as hosts because it's going to be tight. They're all going to have good RPIs. They're all going to be in each other, and Ole Miss now is missing – a win here they should have won a series a home series against Kentucky they're missing a win and 
Maybe that's going to mean the difference between finishing fourth and sixth in the in the division. Who knows? Uh, but I, I feel like this was definitely a missed opportunity. It's not a problem in the long run, like you're saying. Like they are still just a fine team. It, it doesn't change the outlook on that at all. But when you when it the margin for hosting in the West is going to be very tight. There are going to be multiple hosts that come out of that division, maybe as many as four. But trying to trying to navigate that is going to be difficult and. and Ole Miss, I, I feel like, really missed an opportunity uh, considering they had Kentucky at home, and, and Kentucky is what looks to be the worst team in the SEC. So that's something to watch. Again, Ole Miss could just go on a tear for the next five weeks and, and make this all irrelevant. But you know, right now I think that is the upshot of that, that, that loss. Um, out west um, in the Pac-12, you know, I mentioned UCLA stepped out of conference, swept East Carolina. That series was actually fascinating, and uh, I would love to actually, like, truly delve into it, but I don't think we're going to have time to. We spent a lot of time on UCLA last week. Uh, but East Carolina acquitted themselves pretty well out there despite getting swept. I know they're not going to be happy with that result, but I think that if you're just looking at can East Carolina play with top-end teams, you saw that they can this weekend. They didn't get it done against UCLA, obviously, but I, they, they were in all three of those games – UCLA walked off one of them and had to come back late in another. And then on, in the finale, they, they kind of cruised, but it was still just a 3 nothing game. So I, I think that was a positive sign from the Pirates. Uh, definitely more on the moral victory category than anything else. But uh, if you're looking at how ECU is going to match up in a regional or a super regional against a, a, a premium team from a, 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 pro, a power five conference, I, I think that the answer is that, that they're going to be okay, uh, and, and we'll see how it falls. But uh, what they did against UCLA was encouraging from that aspect. And then Oregon State goes down to Phoenix uh, and beats the Sun Devils. A dramatic final inning on Sunday to, to uh Complete the series victory, Oregon State. Uh, cycled through a few different pitchers to get the final few outs. Uh, but they got it done. They get a 4-3 win, and, and they go back to Corvallis uh, with, with a, a significant series win. And they're looking great in terms of continuing to compete in the, in the Pac-12, uh, you know, four top eight seeds and, and all the rest of that. Arizona State right now, though, uh, has slid significantly in RPI over the last couple of weeks. They're down to in, into the 30s now, and this weekend may have meant the end of their hosting chances. Again, like Ole Miss, if if the Sun Devils really get it going over the next five, six weeks, uh, that all changes. But right now, um, they are losing a little bit of touch with the top end of the standings. And that, that was a tough series loss against Oregon State. I mean, they played them really, really tough. They, they nearly come out with the series win. But ultimately, the Sun Devils fall a little bit short. And they're now just 4-6 and six in their last 10 games. So Arizona State in need of getting things back on track. I mean, I, I think that the team is still really good. Obviously, the offense is really good. And I thought the way that they matched up on the mound this weekend was pretty encouraging. Although, obviously, Oregon State's not the most offensive team they'll face. But Alec Marsh pitched really well on Friday night, and they got they got some good pitching the rest of the weekend. It just wasn't quite enough for, for Arizona State. Uh, they're going to try and rebound this week. Uh, they're home against Seattle, and, and then they go to Utah. So uh, they'll be looking to get back on track, and uh, the schedule sets up pretty well for them to do that. But uh, going, going to Utah is not the easiest thing. Um, 
obviously, but that that has the potential to be a pretty offensive series with uh, Arizona State going to going to altitude there in Salt Lake City. So that that should be uh, fun to watch. Just uh, Spencer Torkelson and, and Hunter Bishop and the rest of them uh, hitting balls up uh, up in Salt Lake City. Like I mentioned, we had one team move into the top 25 this week. That was West Virginia. And Dave, you were uh, in Morgantown to see uh, see the Mountaineers up close and personal beat Texas Tech in that series. And they did it with uh, a really impressive pitching performance from Alec Manoa on Friday night and, and just a, a solid overall weekend. And the Mountaineers over the last three weeks now have been uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech. I mean, just what is, what's clicking for West Virginia right now? Well, they're putting together a pretty good resume. And, and, you know, early on in the year, obviously I'm very familiar because I spent the year last year with that program. And, and so I knew exactly what they had. And what, what they have is, is a lot of talented players that are older, uh, that have experience. And, you know, I thought it was going to come down to what kind of year Manila was going to have. And he's having it his best year yet. His talents are coming out. And, and I said to you guys last night in our Top 25 talk, uh, you know, 31 years of coaching. I've, I've seen Kirk Sarlos pitch dazzle people with his 86, 88-mile-an-hour sinking fastball and his great change. And I've, I've seen Todd Helton when he started at Florida, one go nine innings, complete games, 82 pitches. And I've had the Jason Winders. And I'm not name-dropping, just guys I've had this experience to be around. And But the performance I saw from Alex Manoa Friday night against a very offensive Texas Tech team was maybe the best I've ever seen. And here's why. I think he ever threw a pitch below 95 miles an hour with his fastball. On his 120th pitch of the game, it was 97 miles an hour. He threw 125 pitches and threw 105 of them were strikes and had 15 strikeouts, which made it a combined 26 strikeouts over his last two starts with zero walks. And just a pure dominating performance of a guy that's going to go early in the first round. He helped himself. And they're a good team. Uh, They've got three. I think their one Achilles heel is their depth in the middle of their bullpen. I think uh, what I noticed Coach Maisie's doing, he's bringing a lot of guys in quickly and getting them out quickly, one or two outs, getting them out because there's not a lot of longevity with some of those guys. They feel good about their three starters, starting with Manoa, Jackson Wolf on in the mid in the Saturday game, and then Kate Stroud in the Sunday game. A guy with a very good arm also. But if you look at his numbers, he had seven walks yesterday in the in the three nothing loss. Um, but he's not giving up many hits, and he's winning games. Their closer at the end, Sam Kessler, is has been very reliable for them. Uh, had a good year last year. Had a great uh, was a Cape All Star. But I think where the Mountaineers are, are dangerous is because I don't think they've really hit their stride offensively yet. They've got a lot of experience in that lineup. The first five or six hitters are tough to get through. Um, and if they get clicking, they're a team that can make a run in this because of their starting to who they have at the end and what their lineup is. But I think the biggest thing, what I noticed this weekend, big thing is freshman Tevin Tucker, their shortstop, has made a big impact on their team. He's a really good glove. He's a young man, not very offensive right now, but he's a young man that We'll be talking about down the line because he's going to end up being one of the better shortstops in the country. And I, like I said, they're they're a good team. They're a scary team, and I know they're tough to play at home. 
A lot of people don't want to take that tough travel into Morgantown. It's not easy to get to. Um, but I also want to say kudos to the, the crowds. I think the crowds are outstanding. They broke the all-time crowd of, I think, 39.94 on Saturday that they had just broke the record from the previous Tuesday when they played Pitt in the backyard brawl that had set the all-time record. So they're getting the fan support. Uh, they've got a good team, and they've got to continue going. The, you know, one thing I didn't mention, that, and they, they don't have Brandon Zarbnitsky, who was our closer last year and starting left fielder, uh, when I was coaching there, he's out for the year, had back surgery, which would have made another huge contribution to that lineup and to that pitching staff. So they're doing it without having Brandon Zarbinski um, part of their team this year also. Joe, I didn't prep you for this, but West Virginia is sitting either 16 or 17 in the RPI, depending on uh, what site you're looking at. Um, they are right with Texas Tech in terms of RPI as the best Big 12 teams. Are the Mountaineers capable of hosting? Well, from a from a talent perspective, yes. I mean, they're they're clearly that that level of quality with what we've seen what they they've done in the Big 12 the last several weeks. When you look at the metrics, though, it's 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 a tough road to hoe. I mean, they've got. 20 games left on the year, and, and basically it's showing they need to win 18 to 20 to get inside the top 16. So um, they've got the facility to do it. They've got the talent to do it. Um, but it, it just looks like the metrics aren't really necessarily uh, going to be in their favor. Now, you throw a couple wild cards in there. I mean, if they you know, if they can basically uh, do something like run the table, if they sweep K-State, you know, sweep Kansas, and then win two out of three against Texas and TCU, and they win the Big 12, um, then, I, then that probably would be kind of almost regardless of where the RPI is, probably get them there. But obviously those Texas and TCU series are going to be pretty difficult, and they've got a, a three-game set with uh, George Washington at the end of the year, and George Washington currently has an RPI of 255. So that's a series where, you know, you lose one game there, and that's really going to be difficult. And there's the Big, the Big 12 tournament is there as well, but like we talked about with the ACC tournament. But um, it's just looking like it might be a little bit of swimming upstream for the Mountaineers to get into the host discussion. The Big 12 is kind of ridiculous because it's number two in conference RPI, and they, on metrics, look like a one-host league right now. Like, it's, it's very strange. Dave, what were you yeah. going to say? I was going to say, I have a little bit of a different take on that. Um, I think because the way things are shaping out around the country, and I know how the committee looked at this, I think West Virginia won because it would be a first-time host, and I know the committee likes to do that for deserving programs, but two, where they're located. I think it kind of serves as kind of like a northern, east, northeastern program where they could take send a lot of those teams. Obviously, right now on paper, Virginia doesn't look like it's hosting. And so what other schools up in that area is going to be a team that's going to take some of those teams up there? So I think they benefit from that, even though, as Joe mentioned, their RPI could slide a little bit towards the end of the year unless they really take care of some business. But I think because of where they're located and never hosting before, that could play in favor for them as we go down the stretch. I mean, I, I do think that we, we talk about the, the the West Coast teams getting an RPI bump. It does exist for Northern teams as well, and we've never had to determine whether West Virginia would get it or not because uh, they play in the Big 12, but they are further north. Um, so if they get treated a little more like a Big 10 team than a Texas-based Big 12 team, then they don't. That that gives them more margin for error in terms of RPI. That's going to be an interesting one going down the stretch, and. You know, obviously, it's a they are going to have to keep this up. 
that that's going to be a big part of it. But if they do wind up keeping it up, you know, that that's interesting. But I, again, like Baylor is winning the Big 12 right now, and they're 40th. Uh, Oklahoma State is second in the Big 12, and and they're they're 29th. So, uh, you know, Texas has fallen off pretty significantly in terms of RPI. Like, the Big 12 feels like it definitely deserves a second host. I just don't know where it's going to come from right now, and maybe that maybe it's going to come from West Virginia, which would be a f- absolutely fantastic story given where that program has been to now be in a position where we can even realistically be talking about this and that it's not a surprise really to see West Virginia in the top 25, I think is uh, just an impressive feat by, by Randy Maisie there in Morgantown. I feel, it feels like the path to two Big 12 hosts, because I'm with you, it feels like a multi-host league just with the quality. It feels like the path is maybe Baylor continues to play well, kind of, I don't want to say runs away with the league, but but is a pretty clear uh, Big 12 regular season champion, so they host. And then a team that has the high-end resume stuff, like Texas, for example, uh, kind of picks it back up and finishes uh, with an RPI in the neighborhood. And on the weight of that, or on the strength of, of those high-end wins, ends up being the second host. It kind of feels like that's the deal where... You know, one of the teams that has that high-end stuff doesn't win the league. One of the teams, like like a Baylor that maybe doesn't have quite the high-end stuff, ends up winning the league. I think that's where you maybe get the two hosts. Yeah, that's uh, that that'll be definitely something to watch. the The big Big Twelve race as a whole, uh, we've talked about several times. It's it's a mess. Uh, we love it, and we're definitely going to be watching that uh, in the second half of the season. With that, that brings us to. This week's shout-outs, where we uh, take a little bit of a time to, to bring to attention uh, something we haven't really uh, discussed much or uh, that we think is, is worthy of a little extra boost. So, Dave, uh, let's start with you. What, what do you got this week? Well, I'm going to shout out the uh, I'm going to shout out the Vaqueros, and when I say that, there's probably not many people <laughs> around the country that know I'm, what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about the University of Texas Rio Grande and the program that Derek Matlock runs. Um, In two years, he's done a fabulous job of turning that place around, and uh, right now they're sitting at 23-12. and More importantly, they're 9-3 in the WAC. They're tied with New Mexico State and Sac State uh, for the, the lead in the conference, and I can't say enough about what he's done in that program. It's a program that that changed their name years ago. They, they've got a new uh, name to their, their college and um, just doing a good job of winning baseball games in a, in a, in a tough place to, to probably recruit to, even though it's, there's some players down that way. But uh, congratulations that they went to the Grand Canyon this weekend and, and swept uh, what I think is a good Grand Canyon team that's been struggling of late. But to go on the road and sweep uh, is, is big to put themselves in the position they have. And also, I'll reiterate again, UC Santa Barbara with a big sweep over UC Irvine in a, in a big matchup this weekend on the West Coast. Congratulations to the Gauchos and Andy Checkett and their team. From a player's perspective, um, uh, the series I was at, uh, Alec Manoa, as I talked about earlier, just purely dominant, 15 strikeouts, no walks in nine innings, 125 pitch, complete game, with, as I said, with 105 strikes, and just really no chance for Texas Tech throughout the whole game. There really wasn't even a, a time where there was a threat in that victory. And then on Sunday, followed up by uh, Caleb Keelan of, uh, of Texas Tech, who in a much-needed win after, being, after losing the series in the first two games, 
comes back and goes a complete game himself, allows only two hits and strikes out the Mountaineers nine times and, and doesn't walk a guy and, and goes complete game, which, which was huge and much needed for Tim Tadlock's team and, and Texas Tech before they got out of town. So those are my shout-outs for the week. Joe, what do you got? So have you guys ever been to the container store, either of you guys? I have not been. So No, I've got to say I haven't, Joe. <laughs> okay, so the container store is like kind of what it sounds like, strangely, because it's a weird name, you know, just on its face. But uh, it is a store of organizational supplies. And I remember going there as a kid, and I hated it because it's like designed for kids to hate it, essentially, because all it is is organizational supplies. Um, you know, then I went like when I was in college and you're trying to make do a a small space in your college apartment. So, you know, I kind of felt like maybe I could use some stuff from there. And, but now as an adult, it's kind of that place where that's how I know I've reached a different stage in my life. When I go to the container store and I'm like, I can't wait to get in there and check out some of these organizational supplies anyway. So I'm, I, uh, it's just kind of a wild place, like Tupperware from wall to wall and uh, all different kinds of, anyway, it's just, uh, kind of, I went in there to get some recycling bins this time around, trying to do a better job of organizing my recycling. And, uh, there was just so much choice in there. Like you would not believe the variety of recycling bins they had there. I mean, they had some that had like, you know, lids that were automatic and some that would, you know, connect together and some that you could stack and then some that, you know, had hooks on the inside so you could put them in little shopping bags instead of trash size bags. Um, it actually was to the point where I just left. Like, there was so much choice there, I just got overwhelmed and left. Like, which is probably not a mature way to handle the situation, but it was all I could do in that moment. So I left the container store, but just kind of a wild place. I mean, it's so uh, shout out to the container store. Hit us up. Sponsor the podcast, Container Store. Get at us. Um <laughs> Another shout-out to St. Louis's Cody Luther, one of the two no-hitters over the weekend. Uh, came from St. Louis's Cody Luther against St. Bonaventure. Um, a good year for Cody Luther. It has not been the year we expected for St. Louis, our, our pick for the Atlantic 10 uh, champion. Um, but he has been very good in the rotation. He's now 4-2 on the year with a 276 ERA, 44 strikeouts, and 45 and two-thirds innings. So a uh, shout-out to Cody Luther. I, I think I saw, I should have pulled this up before, but it was the first uh, no hitter in the St. Louis program since like the sixties or something 1961. like that. So, yeah, there you go. 1961. So yeah, it's been quite a long time. So, uh, shouts to Cody Luther, um, and shouts to St. Louis, uh, for that achievement there. Um, that is a good segue to my other shout out, which is for VCU. And I feel like we've, we've touched on VCU at, at another point in, in the year. I think it was early in the season when they had ripped off a, a big winning streak. Um, but they are really kind of running away with the Atlantic 10 at this point. They're 27 and nine overall. They've got a 10 and two record, in conference play um, from a postseason perspective, it really is going to come down to the auto bid. There is a chance for them to get inside the top 45 in the RPI, but um, you know, they would really have to uh, really have to stay as hot as they've been, which is kind of asking a lot. And w- one of the reasons why it's so impressive what they're doing in the A-10 is the A-10, you know, I've talked to some of the coaches in the league and um, you know, they talk about how it, it's not an easy league to win in. Um, the travel is kind of, uh, difficult. I mean, there's there are two real hotbeds uh, of teams, and that's one in the Northeast with St. Joe's and Fordham and 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 UMass and St. Bonaventure, LaSalle. Then you've got a cluster kind of in you know Virginia, um, you know, in the Carolinas with Davidson and Richmond and George Washington and 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 uh, George Mason. Um, but then you've got kind of Dayton and St. Louis, which are further over west. So the geography is kind of it makes the travel kind of difficult sometimes. Some of these facilities are, are not great, um, so you're not really kind of maybe getting um, some of the, the quality facility you get in other leagues. So it's, it's really kind of just a difficult league to 
uh, traverse through throughout the season. It's not an easy league to run away with. And St. Louis kind of did a little bit last year, and it looks like VCU might be on that same track um, this year. And, and they've got some big things happening. Um, you know, in their program, they've got some some facility renovation and construction going on as far as a practice facility goes. And so um, things kind of seem like they're on a, a really good upward trajectory there at VCU. And, and Sean Stifler, obviously, is kind of a rising star in the coaching profession. So, uh, you know, we'll see uh, what kind of offers he gets down the road. It seems like he's certainly going to be a hot name in uh, this and future coaching carousels. So that's something to watch as well. But for now, his VCU Rams are uh, playing really well. Sean Stifler, uh on the top 10 under 40 coaches coming into the year, I honestly don't remember where I ranked him, but I know he was ranked there uh, because he does a very good job at VCU. Joe mentioned Luther's perfect game, or uh, no-hitter, sorry. We had a second no-hitter this weekend. Ryan Shreve from Pacific threw one on Sunday in a 1-0 win at Santa Clara. His only blemish was a hit batter, uh, so that that's a... A very, very near brush with a, with a perfect game there. Uh, the fourth no-hitter in program history, first since 2001. So uh, shout-out to Ryan Shreve at Pacific for that, uh, that, that big start on Sunday. Also wanted to mention Ohio State uh, and Michigan. Uh, I am, frankly, just happy that the two teams played this year. They did not play last year, thanks to some Big Ten scheduling nonsense. Uh, so I'm just happy that that series happened this year. Uh, college baseball is much better for it. Ohio State comes out with the series win with the upset in Columbus. Uh, they they win the first two games of that series. It hasn't been a banner year for Ohio State. They're in a little bit of rebuilding mode after making regionals last year. Uh, but that was a huge series win, and Greg Beals now is 10-5 and in his career at Ohio State against Michigan. Uh, and in Columbus, that is a very, very big deal. So uh, congratulations to the Buckeyes on winning that series. And I also wanted to mention uh, Texas Arlington, which uh, this weekend played Arkansas State. It was a matchup of what, coming into the weekend, it was a matchup of the top two teams in the Sun Belt's West Division. And Arlington comes up with a sweep. They come out with uh, sole possession of first place. And also last week they beat Baylor. So that was a, a big 4-0 week for the Mavericks. Uh, they're up into the 60s in RPI, and that puts them kind of on the periphery of the at-large race. Uh, it, they're probably not going to work out for them. The, they would really need to heat up here in the second half and, and, and stay hot. But we've mentioned how open the Sun Belt West is. Uh, right now it's Arlington up there. Uh, we, we've talked at various times about Texas State and and um, Arkansas State, but right now it's ETA, and, and that was a big, big weekend for the Mavericks, and we'll see if, uh, if they can maintain that position there at the top of the Sunbelt West. Um, also in the Sunbelt West this weekend, Little Rock uh, swept uh, Coastal Carolina in an abbreviated two-game series. Uh, so things are getting a little weird in the Sunbelt, uh, but that, that makes it more fun. That, that's going to be a, a, an interesting race to the finish there in the Sun Belt this spring. I think that brings us to the end of, uh, we, we, we have touched on as much of this last week as we can. Uh, it's a big week to come again in college baseball, kind of featured, featuring a, a matchup between Mississippi State and Arkansas that has significant SEC West and top eight seed and hosting implications. Uh, so that's one to watch there in Fayetteville. Uh, it's also Army-Navy weekend, uh, which is a fun weekend. I, 
I love these rivalries. It's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite, favorite things about college sports. So that'll be a fun one in Annapolis, and that has, that's between the best two teams in the Patriot League. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how that one shakes out. We will be here uh, next week to, uh, to talk all about all of that uh, and much more. Uh, we'll, we'll see uh, what large big box store Joe wanders into this weekend. Uh, a few we- I guess that was a month ago now. He was uh, talking about Nebraska Furniture Mart. Now it's, uh, now it's the container store. So we will see where Joe's travels take him next, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you about it then. In the meantime... Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app to rate and review if you can. Five stars, nice comments, hopefully. Let Joe know where, where he should do his shopping. And let us know what, what you think of the podcast overall. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you're enjoying it, and we would love to hear from you about that. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Dave is at Dave Serrano 11 Joe is at Joe underscore on underscore sports. And remember to check everything out over at BaseballAmerica.com. There was plenty of content there to keep you busy, uh, both on the college side and the pro side, with minor league baseball really kicking up. Um, There is also now the ever-popular minor league hot sheet. Uh, That that first edition of the season is up, so you can... uh, while you're checking out how all the college baseball teams did uh, in in the top, with the top 25 and and uh, my off the bat column, you can also um, after you do both of those things, go click on the hot sheet. But make sure to click on the college baseball stuff first. And uh, so yeah, we will uh, we'll keep you uh, you guys up to date over there at baseballamerica.com. So continue to check that out throughout the week, and we will be back here next Monday with another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Thank you for listening.